0: Hi, this is Dan Lukasic from Lawyers with Depression, and this is our podcast today. Our guest today is Jim Warner, who is general counsel for Oracle Elevator. Jim joined Oracle Elevator in March of 2020 and oversees the legal, regulatory, and risk management functions of Oracle Elevator. Jim has served as the chief legal officer for a number of companies during his 30 year legal career. Before joining Oracle, Jim oversaw the risk management, regulatory, and government affairs issues for global food and beverage container manufacturer, the, I'm going to have you pronounce the name of the company, Jim. What is it, How do you pronounce <laughs> the it? R,
1: the R-Dog Group. It's an Irish name.
0: Uh, the R-Dog Group, based yes. in Chicago. Jim also served in general counsel roles for R-Dog Glass and its predecessor, Anchor Glass Container and the Home Shopping Network, each based in the Tampa Bay area. Jim served as the European Council for Ticketmaster in London. Prior to his career as a legal executive, Jim was engaged in the private practice of law for Hemingway and Barnes in Boston and Deborah Mills and Associates in London. Jim lives in Tampa with his wife, three boys and two dogs on the weekends. He pretends, as do I, that he still knows something (laughs) about playing hockey, uh, my beloved Buffalo Sabres here in Buffalo, uh, with a bunch of similarly deluded old guys. And uh, thank you so much, Jim, for being part of the show. And I appreciate you taking the time.
1: Oh, my pleasure, Dan. I really appreciate you having me.
0: And what we're doing is a series of interviews uh, in in a podcast series called True Stories about lawyers living and working and, uh, with depression, anxiety, uh, and various kinds of mental health challenges. And I thought you'd be a great guest, Jim. Uh, and you and I actually met, has it been five years ago now? Maybe about five?
1: Oh, Dan, I don't wanna uh, age us a little bit here, but I think it was even longer. Um, if my memory wow. serves me correctly, it was 2009 when I went through wow. my first major bout of depression. Uh, The years have gone by quickly. (laughs) Yeah, they sure do.
0: They sure do. And it's great how life is a circle and how we've reconnected. And I think it's just so important for people listening to hear, not just from experts or uh, people looking at the issue of war wellness from an academic perspective, but people who live with these conditions. And um, can you tell us uh, a little bit uh, about yourself, uh, where you're from, where you went to college?
1: Sure, I'd be happy to. So I grew up in Boston. Uh, most of my family still lives there. We're very much a New England family. Um, my parents grew up in that area. My wife, uh, her family grew up in rural Vermont and we have extended family through Maine, and New Hampshire, and Massachusetts. So that's really where our roots are. I went to college there, I went to law school there. And I started practicing law there. And then through an absolute quirk of fate, uh, my wife, who was uh, my girlfriend at the time, got offered a chance to work in London. So we decided that the opportunity would probably never come around again. And I quit my job and joined her in London shortly after we got married. So that was 1997. Uh, Stayed there for 10 years. Uh, Each of our boys, uh, as you mentioned, we have three, uh, were born there. So they have dual citizenship, which is kind of a quirky, uh, interesting fact for them. And and then uh, I was with the Ticketmaster group of companies, and I was recruited to come to Tampa, where Home Shopping Network is based. And at that point, they were both in the same group of companies.
0: I see. And did you go to school? You went to Boston College Law School, correct? I did. Yes. Yes. Yes, I thought you did. And then for college, you went to...
1: I went to Harvard University, which uh, made me a black sheep in my family because everyone else went to Boston College. So oh, my. Apparently, I just uh, I, I didn't do the family proud. I, I I went to a totally different school. At least you stayed in
0: the same city, right? The same. job, Right. right exactly. Uh, you know, I'd like to begin our talk. Uh, I, maybe uh, this is the best way to do it. And I'm going to link below uh, an article you wrote, a uh, blog about your your journey through depression, uh, and also, a an interview you did uh, for Boston College uh, School of Law about your journey through depression. And can you start at, at whatever point uh, in the story you think would be best to start?
1: Sure, Dan. Um, I think the most relevant point is really when I first experienced my first major depressive episode, and. Uh, I think that in common with many people who suffer from this, uh, there are a number of different factors that, as I look back, triggered that episode. But I also now realize that there were certainly uh, some underlying signs and maybe some tendencies from prior episodes in my life that were not diagnosed. So for me, it was really a combination of a very intense and stressful period of work. And I um, kind of went through a spiral you know, of of self-doubt and and started to uh, kind of grind myself down into a hole of uh, just uh, didn't sleep well, um, had lots of racing thoughts, ruminations, lost a lot of weight, um, catastrophized things that were going on that I, in my own mind, thought were very serious issues, uh, really felt overwhelmed. And, you know, I think at that time, like most professionals and particularly lawyers, I thought, well, hang on a minute, you know I'm, I'm a reasonably smart person i'm am a hard worker. I'm just gonna work my way out of this. You know, I didn't involve anybody else. I kept it to myself. I was very isolated, and uh, it caused me, frankly, to go deeper, unfortunately, not not better. And so I eventually had to take leave um, from that job, and that was very traumatic. That's the first time I would say in my own life that I can recognize, really just completely failing at something, you know, having someone really say to me, uh, you got to tap out, you know, this is, you are not well. In fact, it was my wife who navigated a lot of that on my behalf, uh, helped me go out on medical leave, which was at the time, very shameful. Uh, I remember feeling like I wasn't very whole that, that, it was my own weakness, my own inability to manage these things that had led me to get into this situation. And I had let my wife and my family down. So there was a lot of shame, um, as well as just the impact of the depressive thoughts and the physical symptoms. So, you know, that, that's where I landed in 2009. And, you know, I went through a process of some therapy with a psychiatrist. He prescribed, you know, we went through a little bit of a trial and error period on prescribing certain medication. I will say that I fought it at first. I, I very much wanted to beat this on my own. I thought that drugs were a weakness that would indicate that, you know, maybe there was something wrong with my brain, you know, that I should be able to overcome this on my own. Eventually saw the need and took uh, anti um, Depressive medication uh, ended up on Prozac. Went through a three-month recovery process. And at the end of that process, uh, was doing much better. My psychiatrist at the time helped me wean off the medication and effectively declared me cured. You know, we had this long conversation about what happened. And he told me, which I now realize is a little bit misguided, you have no greater chance of suffering from depression than anyone else. So I just put it in the past. I said, good, I'm done. You know, I had a particularly rough time and um, that was unusual. So off I go. I'm good.
0: But it didn't stay like that. Right. And uh, you are probably at the time it happened when you were given quote, unquote, a clean bill of health, you were probably immensely relieved to get back to your old life.
1: I was. I was, Dan. And, you know, it also put aside the question for me of do I have to deal with this? You know, I could kind of write it off to, well, this is a one-off. This, this was that job or this was that particular boss or, you know, those unique circumstances. And I carried on. Um, and about three and a half years later, found myself in a, a similar situation and it, it hit even harder. Uh, and I think the reason it hit even harder is I realized It wasn't going away. Um, This awful thing that I'd gone through was now revisiting. Um, It had a more profound impact on me because A, it it, it was um, a darker period. It it really um, put me into a place where I was very fragile, very vulnerable, very broken. And also with the prospect of, I guess this is gonna happen to me frequently or this is going to happen to me regularly and I don't know how to get out of this. Um, And at that point, you know, my children were a little bit older. They were now aware of my behavior. Whereas when I went through the first bout, they were very young, they have no memory of it. Uh, I felt like I'd let them down. Here was their dad in this weakened state, couldn't get out of bed, checked himself into the emergency room once, you know, for what was really a panic attack. Um, that didn't make me feel very good.
0: And Jim, I want to stop here for a second because you talk about your your first major episode. and leading up to it, there were a number of you could say red flags or warnings or worsening of symptoms. And then there was a recovery. But leading up to the second episode, which you describe as worse, Was there a run-up or lead-up to that as well, or was it just all of a sudden?
1: No, there was a run-up, and that's one thing I've taken away from both of those episodes that I'm now much more mindful of. Uh, There are a number of items that start to deteriorate, I would say, in my overall well-being, and I now look for those signs. So one of them is physical health. In each of those instances, I like to run, I like to stay active. It's always been something that's important to me. I stopped doing that. I told myself I didn't have time or I was too stressed or I didn't have the energy. And it quietly went away. Um, I had trouble sleeping at night. I would wake up in the middle of the night and be running through thoughts in my head of things that you know I thought I needed to deal with or fix or that were impending and were not going to end well. And so I got very little sleep at night. My appetite as well was um, very diminished. I had a hard time eating. I just didn't want to eat. So I did lose weight. Um, I was very irritable to the people around me, even though I could see that that hurt them. I wasn't doing it on purpose, but I just didn't feel well. Um, And I would say the other part of it, Dan, was just an overall sense of isolation. Um, I'm a fairly... A sociable person. I like to be around people. I enjoy the company of others and I like learning about people. And I remember my wife said, She was worried for me when I came back from the supermarket one night and there was a a person at the checkout counter who was from my hometown back in Dedham, Mass. Now, if that had happened in the past, I probably would have been there for an hour and we would have been chatting about Dedham and who we knew and all the people and the different baseball teams we played on and how, when did they move here? And do they like Florida? And I didn't say a word. I put Mm. my head down, got my stuff and left. And she said, that's when I was worried about you because that's not you.
0: Well, you know, I have experienced the same thing. And we've shared this with each other where I am also a very sociable person, but when I've been through those depressive episodes, it's almost as if my entire, not only body, but sense of self shuts down and, um, I think what people don't always appreciate is not only is that psychologically or emotionally painful for me, it also was physically painful or uncomfortable. Did you experience that as well, Jim?
1: I did. Yeah. That's a very good point, Dan. I mean, for me, it manifests itself in almost like a constant headache. And I'd almost describe it like feeling like there's a vice around your head. Um, I feel it in my stomach, you know, that that idea of a pit in your stomach. I feel achy, you know, uh, it's very difficult to keep thoughts together because your your mind is kind of racing. You feel that physically as well. Um, So you're right. I mean, when you get into these circumstances where maybe you might ordinarily be pleasant to someone or have an interaction, it's almost too physically painful as well as mental because you just, you just want it to go away. Right. So you're not, willing to open yourself up and maybe experience more pain by forcing through that to put a face on and try to be pleasant to someone.
0: Well, you know, too, I, I think when people would say, Oh, it's in your head, a more accurate statement would be, it's in your whole, it's in your whole being or your whole body. It kind of takes over that part of your life or, or your life. And uh, we forget to, I think, that the brain, uh, you know, is the master part of our our body and controls everything else, and in in particularly sleep, uh, things like sleep, things like um, motivation and drive, things like eating, and uh, that those are not easy things to think uh, to, to work through, with respect to the second episode. Uh, how did that play out at work? I think you've described generally uh, the symptoms you were going through, but were you having difficulty at at work at that time after the second episode?
1: Absolutely, you know, oh. real. Go ahead. Dan. No, how how
0: so? Can you give us some examples, Jim?
1: Sure. I mean, a lot of it was, you know, very very difficult to concentrate. You know, some of it through lack of sleep, some of it just the racing thoughts. Um, again, very irritable, uh, lack of focus, um, just a a real inability to finish things, right, to to start them sometimes, right, just staring at the screen, you know, I use the the example of something that should Mm -hmm. be very simple for most of us, you know, a one or two sentence email that we might do in 10 seconds would take an hour, you know, I would just be laboring over it, and if Someone hasn't experienced that. It's hard to describe, but your mind is questioning everything that you're doing. Um, so you're wondering if I write this word and I hit send, and what is that person going to say? And you know it's going to be awful. And then these bad things are going to happening. Are going to happen? All very irrational, obviously, from a perspective now. But at the time, you know, you're you're pretty locked into that version of reality.
0: I know for myself, when I went through my own major depression and I tried to hide it too, I tried to look busy. I tried to look like I was getting things done, but I wasn't. And then at some point the rubber hit the road with my law partners and other people, uh, kind of confronting me, I guess, you know, but not in a, you know, yelling at me, but saying, Hey, something's not right here. You're falling behind in your work. You're not, you're coming in late, um, did did you get feedback, or did you, people around you or people you work for start saying th- things to you?
1: It, they didn't directly, and that's uh, well. Actually, let me let me go back on that. There was one individual, our, our CFO, who did express some concern. And of course, I was oh well, you know, I'm having trouble getting to sleep, and everything's okay. And we're under pressure because of this, that, and the other. It's okay. You know, I just want to make sure you're all right. You know, you seem very stressed. Um, but a lot of it, Dan, was after, you know, when I when I took leave, because I had to do that again. Um, frankly, some very wonderful people reached out with concern and expressed to my wife that um, they had been worried about me, you know, that they had seen things and probably didn't feel it was their place to to intervene or, or discuss that with me. So that's interesting that, that you had those conversations with those your partners. Um, how did that feel for you when they? They approached you with
0: that? Well, I think because at that time, it was maybe 15 years ago. Uh, you know, we we're at a very different time culturally, uh, in the broader culture and in the legal profession in terms of discussing mental health problems. And they really didn't have the vocabulary uh, to talk to me about it other than to say, you know, maybe you need a vacation or is your workload too high, you know, uh, or one partner was, was a little bit angry and said, you know, you have everything, a great family, a great job, you know, you sound almost ungrateful, you know, for what you have in life. And, uh, he he had no idea. Uh, And like a lot of people around us, even well-intentioned people, he just had no frame of reference for what depression was. And um, I think that's part of the struggle, isn't it, Jim, where we feel like uh, we're lonely and we're isolated because it's not only hard for us to understand, but also trust that other people would understand what we're going through.
1: That's entirely correct. And, you know, to make it even more poignant, um, my wife, Jenny, who was with me every step of the way and was desperately trying to help me and couldn't, even to this day, despite doing a lot of research on her own on mental health issues and becoming a professional within that, you know, segment, doesn't fully understand i went through and i don't think she can um and there'll be times i'll go back and say hey remember that time and and do you remember you know what i was doing and do you know why and um it it caused a lot of hurt because she couldn't help at times anger to be fair you know i think that's uh that's okay you know i i think that that she felt that way because she was frustrated with maybe her perception that I wasn't able to turn this around um, in the manner that maybe she'd hoped um, soon enough, I guess. So it is extremely difficult for people who haven't had that lived experience. You know, as we just said, uh, someone who says, well, what do you mean you can't write an email? You know, what do you mean you can't look at a menu and just choose between chicken and beef <laughs> you know something that's just simple what, what what prevents you from doing that
0: well you know i i think it's uh it's i thought you're that's very honest of you to say that about you and jenny you and your wife because you know it impacts that most important of relationships that are you know involving our family members and our wives and i remember when i first disclosed to my wife uh, she said are you unhappy in our marriage uh she that was her only frame of reference you know that i was unhappy or unfulfilled not that i had an illness and i think that um what's difficult with depression is uh there is no precise timeline for when you're going to get better uh you know if we had broken our arm well you know uh, fracture you know uh, put on a cast and, and the doc says should be okay in five weeks Depression doesn't work like that. And it seems like seemingly can go on forever when you're in it.
1: Right. And, and, you know, to that point, Dan, I know there were loving intentions, but it would get to the point where my wife would ask me each day, Hey, you feeling a little better. And sometimes you're just not. And it's what you say. It can be a very long journey. Um, And, you know, the the people who love you are just looking for those signs, right? They're looking for that progress or that you are getting better. And sometimes you can't give it to them because you you know, it just isn't true.
0: It isn't true. And that's sometimes hard news to deliver uh yeah. because you want to get so badly to give that to them and you know you are the breadwinner as I was in my family and we know people are depending on us emotionally but financially too uh you know you, you have a home and you have children and you have people to support so that's an enormous uh burden at some point with the second uh fall into depression and you said it was deeper you worked It took some time, but you worked out of that. What helped you work out of that, Jim?
1: I think, well, there were a couple things. There were were many things. I mean, as you know, it's not just uh, turning on a light bulb, right? It takes time. It's incremental. It's small steps. But the one thing I did, uh, which I hadn't done the first time, is I was much more of a consumer, if you will, uh, for my own therapy. So, The original psychiatrist I had who had kind of declared me cured, I went back to him initially when I first encountered the symptoms. And what I recognized is just from my own personal perspective, it wasn't a good relationship. It wasn't a relationship that was going to help me heal. He may be very good for someone else. So the ironic thing that I share with people is, you know, sometimes when you're at your worst and you're needing someone else to help you, you still Need to take charge of your own recovery, which is really hard to do, but it's very important. So I I switched therapists and, after a period of experimentation, found someone who I've really clicked with, who understood, at least from my perspective, the need for me to get going and doing things and just being um, more proactive about my own recovery. And in fact, Dan, uh, you know, I'm going to put you into that mix because. That's when you and I started working together the second time around, more specifically with you as a coach. And, you know, you would develop that practice. And um, I don't know if you recall this, but that's one reason I reached out to you. I said, I just need something more. You know, I have a, at that point, I did have a good therapist. I was happy. She was, you know, working with me on my meds. But what you did for me, which was critical to my recovery, I, you know, I've, we thanked you many times, and I'll continue to thank you. Is we developed together a relationship around just trying to put one foot forward, doing simple things. And I tell people this, you know, you told totally me, give me the five things that you've done. Remember? It's and true. You, I remember. You wouldn't, you wouldn't care what they were. It could be, I got up and brushed my teeth. Um, there wasn't, and, you know, it wasn't about the quality, it was about the quantity in starting forward momentum and you know it's not a panacea it doesn't work overnight but what happens is over time and you and i did this together you would start to look back and say wow i'm making a little progress you know gee the thing that i couldn't do two weeks ago i'm doing you know maybe i'm not doing it to the full extent that i want to but you know hey okay let's try something else right and your world slowly opens up And so, you know, looking back on it, Dan, I think the most important thing for me was just to try something, you know, it almost didn't matter what it was. Um, And for me, it was that momentum building of seeing things getting done in my own life.
0: No, I think that's a powerful thing because as I've often thought is that there's not only when we're recovering from depression, getting the five things done as an example but also seeing ourselves helping ourselves because uh hopelessness and uh helplessness are just intertwined in in depression and we come to believe those voices in our heads where we can't help ourselves the situation is hopeless and there's nothing more to do but to really suffer or just try to bear it another day and it can be from day to day. Um, Jim, we have about five minutes left and I want you to speak about what you're doing uh, at your alma mater at Boston College of Law. Can you tell us about that?
1: Sure, I can, thanks Dan. Uh, so about a year and a half ago, I reconnected with one of my law school professors. She was our contracts professor and she's still there. Um, I am um, in disbelief to tell you that I'm going to head to my 30th anniversary, our uh, 30th reunion from law school this weekend, <laughs> which is uh, not possible. <laughs> but she's still there, and she's a force of nature. And what she did during COVID is she got her students together with alumni through Zoom calls, and she called them her high tea hours. You know, as if you were coming to high tea, and it was a great way for us to reconnect with our classmates, as well as, you know, to the extent that we could offer pearls of wisdom to our uh, students. What I noticed were a few alumni offering really compelling stories of vulnerability and overcoming personal challenges, whether it's addiction or mental health challenges. Um, It really resonated with me. I thought, you know, what? first of all, what a brave thing to do thank you, thank you, you know, and I felt um, a sense of connection to them, listening to their story. so I reached out to them separately, and we started talking, and I went back to the professor and said, what's happening at the law school for mental health, because I am aware that a lot of the schools are doing a much better job in promoting wellness and mental health, and um, offering services to students, and she gave me a description of what was happening. I said, are are alumni coming back to talk about their experiences? No. Does anyone tell their stories? No. So we have organized a series of panels where alumni come back. In fact, we have one tomorrow and share stories of overcoming struggles, whether it's mental illness or addiction. And every story to me is about resilience. It's about hope. It's the power of a lived experience. And what we're learning, we're relatively early in the process, but what we're learning is it really resonates with the students. You know, they they can see themselves in the alumni stories. You know, they pick something from it. And it occupies a different space than the very important elements of therapy and other wellness tools. But what we believe we're doing is we're filling a gap, you know, we're, we're putting humanity into the conversation. And as important, it's a little bit of our relationship, Dan. So when I was at my worst, the ability to reach out to you, who is what I call on the other side, and for you to be able to say, I've been there, was such a gift to my recovery because, as you say earlier, it built hope. You know, I could see that there was a way that I could get through this and be the person that I wanted to be. And what we're hoping is that each of these alumni stories does the same thing, because they're extraordinary people. You know, they they speak from such power of their experiences. These aren't weak individuals. These these are you know. Um, very accomplished people who have suffered mightily. But in sharing that, give students, and we hope soon practitioners, the confidence that it's okay to admit your imperfections, that this is part of what you will go through in your life and that you will, uh, if you meet it and um, accept it in your life, will be stronger and better for it. So that's what we're trying to accomplish. Um, I'll give you a report back once we're done tomorrow, but I'm really excited. We have a a new group of panelists and we're also starting from this, uh, a peer-to-peer network where maybe struggling students or practitioners can reach out safely to others who have suffered and, and maybe just use that as a tool to allow them to walk with somebody else in their journey. They won't be therapists. You know, we have to kind of be careful of the space we occupy, but we believe it's helpful. And and as we develop this network of alumni and practitioners, we want to offer that to people that there's there's people they can identify with that are willing to share their experiences and walk with them for a bit. So that'll be the next step.
0: Well, we're going to have to check back in with you when that, as that happens yeah. and follow your own journey. And I feel like to sum up what you said, I think we go uh, from feeling that everything's impossible uh, to feeling possible, that it's possible to recover and lead a very successful, productive, and in fact, happy life uh, on the other side of uh, depression. And I I do, I am so happy that uh, we've reconnected and life is a full circle. And uh, I think that the world needs more people like Jim Warner. I think that's the truth. So uh, I'm going to end on that note. But Jim, thank you so much for your time. And we will be posting below the link uh, to your blog article, as well as your other interview. I'm Dan Lukasik. And uh, join us next time for interesting interviews about mental health and well-being in the legal profession.